Welcome to Practice Freedom. What if you could hang out with owners and founders from all sorts of healthcare private practices, having rich conversations about their successes and their failures, and then take an insight or two to inspire your own growth? Each week on Practice Freedom, we take an in-depth look at how to get the most out of both the clinical side and the business side of the practice, get the most out of your people, and most of all, how to live the healthy life that you deserve. I'm Mark Henderson Leary. I'm a business coach and an entrepreneurial operating system implementer. I have a passion that everyone should feel in control of their life. And so what I do is I help you get control of your business. Part of how I do that is by letting you listen in on these conversations in order to make the biggest impact in your practice and ultimately live your best life. Let's get started. David Berg is the, the head, the founder and president of Redirect Health, a company that uh, is, has a unique approach to healthcare in, in a time when I think healthcare needs some really important, unique approaches because the healthcare system up until now has, has really failed us in so many ways and it's failing us in a, in, a, in a bigger way. But Dave has a passion for excellence and customer service and the transformation and really taking care of employees as well as patients. And so I'm really, to talk, really eager to talk to Dave about his approach to process and customer service and all the things in the business to transform healthcare in the world in so many ways. So welcome, Dave. How are you, sir? Hey, Mark. I am doing fantastic. Thank you. Well, I'm glad to have you here. Um, so this idea of transforming healthcare, uh, and to me, that means... I mean, it means a lot of things. It means, means costs and, and that, the craziness behind that. But to me, uh, a consumer-driven approach, you know, as a patient, uh, healthcare has never really done that. It's, it's uh, doctor-centric at best or if, and probably at worst in, insurance-centric. Uh, how are you transforming the industry? You know, the, the, I get this question a lot, and um, it, it always seems a little – disingenuine of me to say I'm transforming the industry when uh, when I know the truth about how it started. I have a business and it happened to be a healthcare business and I could not make the traditional healthcare system, the insurance-based system work for my own company. So I was struggling to be attractive as an employer to my employees and take care of them and to really understand all the challenges that we're having around healthcare and the traditional system was letting me down and I'm in the system. So I just built a solution for myself. I had no intention ever to transform an industry or to even sell it or even to offer it to my friends when I did it. I was just solving really? a business. I was just solving a business problem. And it started with me owning a business and not liking it when my competitors would poach my employees that I trained up really well. And when I hired great people and got the, and, the, and who had great potential, and then I trained them and they got even more potential and or used, they were utilizing their potential. And then they'd go take a job with a big corporation or a hospital system or, or Honeywell was taking a lot of my people at the time oh, wow. and American Express. And, and the main reason they could take them was because I was in the traditional health insurance uh, system for our benefits meaning that the deductibles were going up. Back then in 2007, when I'm talking about, the deductibles were going from $500 to 1000 to 1500 Now they're at $5,000, And yeah, nobody could yeah. afford them. And if, if the competitor or non-competitor, even another company, had $500 deductibles, now they, their healthcare plan could be used, mine couldn't. So I, I, I didn't set it to transform anything except my own business, my own well, personal so self-interest. 
What was your business at the time? Healthcare. Doctor's so that's office. what I thought. So, <laughs> so you're in the healthcare business <laughs> so, and you're losing people because you can't provide good healthcare. Mm-hmm. That's got to wake you up. You, you look in the mirror and like, what's going on here? Well, the compounded is I just moved from Canada, which, which is a different <laughs> okay. healthcare system. So I'm thinking I'm the only dummy in the country who can't figure this American healthcare system out. And yeah, nothing right. made sense to me. And I had all kinds of wrong perceptions of what was happening and why the system exists in the first place. Um, bottom line, though, it didn't matter because I just created my own system with a purpose that was very specific to my company and, and our people and our families and what we needed. And that had to fit with the constraints that we had around money and time and uh, and what we wanted. And our, you know, so there's I really built this out of sheer need because I could not fit into the traditional system as a Canadian physician coming here with my wife, who's a who's a family physician. And we couldn't figure out the American healthcare system. It just didn't make sense to us. Um, it makes sense to us now, but at the time it didn't. So we, we, our only solution that we could come up with was let's build our own for our own purpose. And it ended up working so well that our, we started putting in our – I'm still part of EO, but back then it was called YEO, Young Entrepreneurs Organization. We had to dump the Y. Uh, my generation yeah. was part of jumping the Y, dumping the yeah, Y. Well, I wouldn't be in right now. I wouldn't be in it. Well, actually, I'm not yeah. currently a member. I'm actually an alliance partner. But yeah, so I wouldn't. I would not yeah. be eligible either. So yeah. So when I when I just a little tangent, I was 36 when I joined YEO just 20 years ago, 21 years ago, and that was the last year you could get in was 36. So I just made oh, it under wow. the wire at that time, and you had to be oh, up wow. by age 40. So I'm easily 16 years, 17 years beyond the the kickout date. So I was part of that generation. So we're not leaving and we changed it. But I, I started helping a bunch of my friends who had businesses, probably a dozen, maybe 15, uh, when the recession hit in 2008, nine, you know, going in 10. And it, I just did it to help them. And it worked really, really well. So we were transforming their healthcare experience too. But it was it was more as a, you know, it's part of my my peer group. That, and I was a cool kid on the, the block as far as healthcare anyway, because I was saving them tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars. There was some key principles that we had already built in our system. And then fast forward, now we're in all 50 states, you know, tens of thousands of people that we help right now. And um, it is transforming healthcare or the lives of those people. I don't know what's doing it for the country or for a city, or, but for those companies, it is 100% transformed their experience with healthcare, and and I love doing it. And, but it was never the intent. So let's make a tangible kind of what the transformation looks like. So if somebody's listening, well, actually taking a step back, I interviewed uh, a, a guy, Mike Morris, who runs a very successful law firm, very high growth in in Michigan. And what was so important about the, the conversation with him is it helped people who. Um, well, as a law firm, it's very difficult to transfer, to think of yourself as a business. Oftentimes mm-hmm. they think of themselves as these practitioners. And so he was like, no, it's a business. Every, all business rules apply. You, you just, if you, if you take yeah. it seriously and do it, you can scale the business really well. And so where I think that I, I want this contrast to come out on in this conversation is healthcare, I think struggles to think of itself as any form of customer service. It's like, you know, we're, we're there's something very traditional about like, there's, we're, 
well, I don't know even know what you would describe it as. So it's almost art, art-like. And it's like, no, it's a business. And the people who are complaining about healthcare not making money for them are people who are holding on to the old ways of doing things. And this, and if so, I'm saying from a perspective of any business who says we can't do business things, we'll go look look at Mike Morse. He's doing it. You can do it. If we can't be customer service, like okay, no, talk to Dave. Like he's he's transforming an industry that's customer service oriented. If he can do it, you can do it too. So the transformation of the old way of healthcare being sort of the fee for service type of approach like you it's very reactive everybody loves to talk about it sickness care you know waiting for things to break you're in a more proactive membership model that people sign up for and can consume it's sort of not quite all you can eat but all you can eat within certain types of services you provide that ends up saving tons of money is that a fair sort of statement to talk about how the model is different if you compare yeah, it? it's all you need to eat i'd say that yeah yeah right so it's not more it's not less and, and it's not wasteful and um, and a lot know, of people think of that is that concierge yeah. medicine. It's not concierge no. medicine. This is it's, not it's, a premium it, product type of luxury thing. No. This is an it, efficiency it's a, it's model. An, it's an end-to-end system, end-to-end healthcare system that's designed specifically, remember for me, so small yeah. businesses and our employees and our families with all the constraints that we have, knowing that easily 80 90% of small business employees make under $25 an hour. Most of them make around $15 an hour. Well, way over half will make $15 an hour or less. So those are the constraints we got to deal with. There's no extra money for rent at the end of the month. There's no extra money for food or transportation or car payments or fun things. Even going to a movie is tough for the majority mm-hmm. of small business workers. So let's recognize those constraints and build our system so it takes care of those constraints. So the last thing we need in there is, is things that are not needed. Okay, no, right, maybe right. the doctors okay. need it. Maybe the hospitals need it. Maybe the insurance companies need it. Maybe some other vendor in healthcare needs it, but we don't need it. So, we so that, build- that goes to the heart of my of my question yeah. because it's one thing to envision a transformation, and having been in a, a part of a, an IT services transformation from fee for services, hour for dollars, to a proactive solution. It was like, oh, vi- visualizing it was not the hard part. Yeah. <laughs> Transitioning and managing costs and new metrics and measurables and pro- all the processes that went with that was devastatingly difficult and expensive to figure out. Yeah, and it so, would have been hard if I was building it for somebody else. It would have been really hard, just like okay, you're saying. But okay. it's different. That's just why I, I somewhat – I didn't start by trying to transform. I, anybody's experience but my own. And that's a lot easier. If I'm trying to transform yours, you're going to change your idea from your your mind from time to time. And you don't even know what you want. Well, I had a really clear idea what I wanted for myself. I didn't have to ask anybody except myself. And I had many of those conversations with myself about what I want. And I changed my mind a lot about what I want as I learned more. But, But so we designed something for small businesses and our employees with all the constraints that I was facing in my Business at that time we had 54 people. I think we're probably about 250 people now, um, but we're still small business, and a lot of the small, all the small business principles and constraints apply. And uh, so, we designed a complete end-to-end system because there was no point solution that we could plug into the traditional system that would make the traditional system work. Because the mental model of the traditional system was different than our mental model. We started with the mental model that this system had to serve us. And we didn't care. We didn't even give a lick about anybody else's share price. Yeah, yeah. I didn't care how Blue Cross did or United did or Cigna did or the hospital system did. I cared about our company and our people. So the mental model was everything we did had to serve us. That's totally different than when you plug into somebody else's system. 
They're there to serve right. shareholders and other things. So we went out of, we started with a different mental model. And, I'm st and, and we built the structure around that. The rules and the structure and the principles were all around that mental model that we had to be served. And it just so happened that other public companies, first my, or uh, small companies, not public companies for sure, but small companies like my own had the same interests that I had. If they didn't, I still would have built what I built exactly the way I built it. But it just so happened that small businesses had the same interests, the same needs. So we started building the structure around it and creating the, uh, the cadences and patterns and around customer service, et cetera, that, that, that we wanted. And what's interesting, and so that's how we got to where we got. We just built a, we took a complex system, wasn't working for us, wasn't designed for us, called healthcare, and uh, with insurance as the base of it, and we just created another complex system, but it was less complex, and we knew how to operate it and manage it because it was ours, and it was there to serve us. And um, what's interesting is customer service is a big part of it. But what's, what was also interesting to me is the reason I got in trouble in the first place is because of customer service. Because I, I tried to apply customer service business principles to healthcare, and it worked okay. really well at first, really well in the insurance model. But it was a critical error that forced me to make the, this transformation for our own company. And um, I've been part of a strategic coach with Dan Sullivan now for 20 years also. So he's a big part of me understanding how to run a healthcare business like a real business. And I had to stop being a doctor to do that. By the way, it's really hard to operate mm -hmm. a business as a doctor or a lawyer or an engineer, yeah. or a accountant, a professional. It's just because we care so much about our professions, we have to like chop that off and just we're going to be business people right now, care about our customer and our employees and our mission and our purpose. Who cares about our profession? Right. So that's a little hard. I don't want to say that, like I don't care, but it's not at the top of the list. It's not even third on the list. It's not even 10th on the list. Wow. Matters, but how, it doesn't how hard matter was that? Because I, I, I have people in my world that are exactly in that spot. We've got, I go, mm -hmm. you know, surgeons in my world trying to build a, yeah, a it's surgery hard. practice. It's hard. I don't know how they do it. I mean, it's just, <laughs> I, I started out wanting to be an engineer. And so okay. it was a little easier from that perspective. I, I got tricked by a pretty girl to go into pre-med courses and in my three weeks into the University of Toronto. We're married today, we're now since 19, <laughs> we met in 1983. She tricked me into switching all my courses over to hers. She told me there's no way I was gonna pass those courses. They were too hard for me, I wasn't smart enough. I believed her because she smiled nice and gave me a lot of attention. So she's a family physician and um, I haven't practiced since 2001, but I used to practice as a chiropractor. And uh, I'd never really wanted to be in healthcare. I mean, oh, I wanted, okay. I loved engineering. I love solving problems. I love building things. And uh, so my wife right. at the time might've said, I made up this thing that I, I made the system not work so I could have an excuse to build a new system that would work. Um, now it works, ours works really well. And the old system is working less and less and less and less well, at least for the users of healthcare, for the shareholders of healthcare, it's working great. You've never seen higher share prices in the, the history of healthcare, and there's never been a more successful industry than the last 10 years in, his, in healthcare. If you look at healthcare, um, it's I mean that the rise in share price is higher in healthcare than American healthcare than any other industry in the world. Mm -hmm. So it's been highly successful, like this complex system we yeah. call American healthcare, for yeah. that purpose. It has not been successful from a perspective of small business companies right. and the users of families. So, but here's where I got in trouble with customer service. And uh, so I had built our initial model and we had margins or probably four or five times what were normal based on customer service. I got rid, there were no glass windows. Um, nobody answered the phone up front. I had um, customer parking up front. 
And um, so, so the best parking spots always went to a customer. We had we did training where we wanted to make eye contact and a, you know smile with your eyes within a millisecond, even if you're talking to someone else. I mean, we really went into the customer service yeah. thing. So I attracted a lot of people um, who were just had great like a great heart for customer service and serving people and creating great wow stories. As a matter of fact, that's our number one job of everybody in our company still today, which it was 20 years ago, which was inspire others to tell their um, redirect tell story. That time we were called something different, but, that's, yeah. but inspire others. And I don't care if that means you're commenting on their new purse or their shoes or, or you know, you're just happy to see them. Just make them tell a story and get them in the right mindset. So we really doubled down on that concept and it led to huge profitability for us. And the strategic coach principles were a huge part of that. And the customer service combined with that, um, which is we were doing things nobody else was even thinking of or were believing in healthcare. And every time I got a visit from other people in healthcare, they always left a little bit disillusioned because they realized that they could not they couldn't even change the parking, right? They, 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 the hospital <laughs> system was there. It said doctor parking. The best parking had to be for doctors. I said, yeah. no, it's for our customers. Doctors, you park anywhere you want. You can park next to me at the back of the lot or the first available spot that's available that doesn't say, you know, customer parking on it. And uh, so a lot of times the healthcare folks are disillusioned by that customer service. But here's how it got me in trouble. In about 2006, um, before the recession, uh, before I had to make this shift in 2007 was my thinking year. 2008 was my implementation year the first okay. time. But 2006 was the kitten getting kicked in the ass year and I was getting kicked hard. And my profits went from about four or five times normal to right around normal, maybe a little less than normal. But because of this, because the labor market tightened, there were jobs all over the place. The economy was booming. Mm -hmm. Everybody was growing. People wanted my employees. And at the same time, and I, I did not understand, I think I understood how valuable, um, how much I relied on a great customer experience and people who could deliver it and people had a heart for delivering it before I even hired them. Um, and then I could train it like to 10x what they came in with. I could reach yeah. into their customer service potential. Um, but the part I didn't anticipate with was health insurance costs going up so much. So when health insurance costs went up, we were all small businesses were faced with you know, a 20, 30% increase if you wanted a $500 deductible still. But if you raise the deductible, doubled it to 1,000, then you can get a 15% increase. And then the next year was 25% again, 23%, or you can take a $1,500 deductible. So as those deductibles are going up because the insurance costs were going up, um, my employees now, because they were so good, they had to leave, sometimes left in tears because they didn't want to, but they wanted to start a family or they got married and their new wife was insisting they had health care they could afford. And so they'd go work for a bigger company. Uh, and there were so many of my employees could get a job because we taught them how to do it. We taught them mm -hmm. how to how to just impress people at the front counter. But that would also apply to a, a, a recruiter. Also, yeah. so we yeah, just yeah. we were losing our best employees because we couldn't afford their health care and they needed health care. But it's and our company depended so much. All our process and our systems and our success was dependent on this customer service. So when I lost the ability to when, when I when people were leaving, I, I had nothing, no hook to hire them with to be have a recruiting advantage in a very tight labor market. I had no competitive advantage in a labor market that was tight. 
I did not even thought of it before. So that's why I had to create this. Um, I had to get rid of the co-pays and deductibles and I had to create a new system that could compete with the bigger companies insurance system. And it was remarkably easy. Now that I look back on it, though, it probably took me about seven, eight months of on paper and whiteboards and talking to people and learning to learn what I needed to learn in order to build, to engineer essentially this new system that would allow me to take care of our people in a way that was so believable um, that they would never want to work for a big company. Even if they could, and then I went, I turned it into a sport where I wanted to make it so that even if they offered them a dollar more an hour, two dollars more an hour, they'd never leave because the healthcare was so believably, meaningfully accessible and usable to them. But it's wow. that's how it started. But the customer service um, aspect of our business and how much we relied on it for the profitability we had, that's what got in the way because I did not understand that when that tight, when that combined with a, a tight labor market and rising insurance costs that, that were going through the roof for small businesses in that 2006 year, um, it was decimating my business. And, you know, to the point where I gave myself till 2010 to get out of the industry. Wow. Okay. Yeah, I, I was not interested in American healthcare in at, in 2006. I was no longer interested in American healthcare. I'd been here since 1995 at the time from Canada. Wow. And, and yeah. I was just like, I was really, I was getting my ass kicked that year in 2006 and I was looking for a way out. But then as we discovered how to take care of our people um, and how to collaborate with them and team up together, I saw how much power we had over the industry when we worked together. And the industry today separates the employer from the employee. It's the purchaser from the user. And that's the yeah. power they have, huge power. I mean, if you separate the purchaser and the user, it's different, right? It's just, I mean, think about you go to a, an airport and you buy a bottle of water like this and it costs four bucks and then you hit the security line, you're gonna throw it away half empty? If you bought it, no, you're gonna drink it even if you're, even if you're not thirsty. Yeah. But I guarantee you that if I buy that, if I buy that for, for your kid or my kid and they don't buy it, they're the user, but I'm the purchaser, if they're not thirsty, they throw away half that bottle. Yeah, yeah, and I see that in my conference rooms too. If I'm putting the bottle of water out there, there's some that are drank this much. Not mine. It's always drank that much, even if I don't want it, because I'm the purchaser <laughs> sure. and the user. So we well, just so started a, playing yeah, with those lots dynamics of that, that have that problem. And some, like in healthcare, there's actually three. There's three factors, and in, in other businesses similar. You've got you. You got where the money comes from, which is insurance. Mm -hmm. You've got a. Um, I think I like that. I first learned this with the home health care model. So you've got home health care product to take care of somebody in their home and have them cared for with difficult conditions. You've got uh, a doctor who refers them in and you've got an insurance uh, company who pays. And so the, you have to understand all three factors. The insurance mm -hmm. is going to pay you. The doctor is going to get you the business. And the person you're trying to take care of is that person in the home. And yeah. so that complexity has to be really unwound. Yeah. And, you know, there's something that uh, I discovered in those. I learned so much about health, American health care when I was trying to build my own system in 2007. But one of the analogies I used that never endeared me to my own profession <laughs> was that if you really think about it, the, uh, the doctors are like miners. And the people are the, the, the raw material. But what we're mining is, is codes out of those people. Yeah. And then the insurance right, yeah. companies are the uh, like the owner of the mine, right? So really, the insurance companies own the mine. That they're um, and inside that mine are C what are called CPT codes. But you need doctors, workers to dr get it out of patients, and then that yeah. and hopefully the doctor can extract the codes 
for less high, money than they get then they get reimbursed yeah. they <laughs> and find if, the high value codes oh you know it, 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 diamonds it's just, are more valuable than oh than, my you know, gosh than exactly so, it so really, oh wow a, you've got a major condition that's very valuable like so, i found something very expensively wrong with you yes Ooh, so, that, so, so that insurance model is filled with great people like very caring yeah. considerate people so it's not about the people it, but the system is a bad system for mm-hmm. the people it's a great system for shareholders absolutely brilliant so smart it has been smart. It will be smart for years to come. And we start seeing Medicare Advantage for all and the insurance companies in the middle of it. And now they get paid by taxpayer dollars. Mark my words, that is that was crafted 20 years ago. It's been going on. It's going to happen. There's no way it stops. The train's been moving, but it won't serve users, purchasers and users, especially not small businesses. So it requires a new system. And that's what, that's what our system does. And that's how we think about it is let's create a new system just for that group. We're not trying to serve large uh, corporations or, or government entities or university systems. Uh, maybe a small municipality could fit in because they operate like a small business um, or an association. We have quite a, we have several association of realtors, right? So, but they're they're entrepreneurial organizations that realize that the existing system is not really going to serve their folks. And um, if there's a lot of money going into it subsidization you can make the other system work a little better for the purchaser and users but for the most part it can't and the, the way i see it is that the doctors are really the middlemen they're just the the miners yeah. that are there to extract the codes and the more we can keep the employer the purchaser separated from the user their employees and their families the less power they have and how do we do that well the insurance companies go to the through the brokers go to the uh, the employers and go let Give us your trust. We'll protect you from your employees. We'll protect you from the doctors, yeah. from the hospitals, from the drug companies who are trying to convince your people who don't appreciate the health care you're buying from anyway, who are trying to convince them they need more health care. But then what do doctors do? Right? We, or drug companies. We go to the, to, yeah. to the oh, user, okay. the employee, and we go, hey, give us your trust. Don't it's trust your employer. It's consumption don't trust you your employer. To- don't trust the insurance company. Give us your trust. Well, what I learned in 2007 when I really dove into that um, is that the power is when those two units come together and start trusting each other. When the employer and the employee start working together, the insurance companies, the brokers, the hospitals, the uh, pharmacy benefit managers, the drug companies, they lose their power. And that's the, the, that's the easy part about this is now, now that I know better, it was hard at the time to, to come to the conclusion, but once I did, it was really easy. Now it's just create mechanisms to help each other and trust each other and collaborate employer and employee and don't let the insurance companies and brokers and hospitals and drug companies and drug commercials um, get in our heads. We're working together. We're on the same team. Everyone else is trying to separate us. So that's the mental model. Again, now we've built a lot of structure that has a lot of technology and a lot of process around that mental model, but it all supports that mental model that we have to work together if we want to eliminate unnecessary activity, unnecessary spend, and make this so it works for everyone in the company. Not just the 20% right. who can afford it, 50% who can afford it, but 100% of the people in the company. Just like you've got to take care of every one of your family members. You can't say, well, this child doesn't earn enough money, so they yeah. are left out of your family health care system. Yeah, yeah, That's silly. for sure. So I, I, but the same thing in a business, small business, not a big corporation. Small business, I can't say, okay, well, of my 250 people, these 30 people, they don't count. They don't matter as much. Or these hundred people don't matter as much, and these hundred people matter more. I could, but 
but that's not going to give me the advantages a small business has of caring about our people and acting like a family and the trust that that every small business needs to create in order to be uh, super successful and profitable. So the idea of getting on the same side of the table, that applies to a lot of similar industries. Like my background yes, is managed IT services, which was the idea mm -hmm. of like before it was opposite sides of the table. The more I spend time with you, the more I get to bill you. That's great. Mm -hmm. And the clients and, and customers were like, well, we would like it if you tried to keep our servers running a little bit better as opposed to putting in systems that required a lot of maintenance. So we got on the, on the same side of the table. Absolutely. We'll, we're going to wrap this into a fee. It's equivalent to your approach to a membership model. And we're going to mm -hmm. price based on the number of things you've got and the, the more efficient we are the more money we make and immediately we got destroyed by our total inability to keep the systems running like we thought we could <laughs> because we didn't know how to incent the right behaviors we, it, we were more incented to kind of you know hope <laughs> as opposed to really yeah, plan but really bet you, well i bet you learned I bet you oh, learned. We, we absolutely, it was very expensive learning. And, and the yeah. industry 20 years later is pretty smart about it, but it was not as intuitive. We, we used old metrics and old metrics didn't work. Utilization, like how, how busy are your techs? That was not, that was the only metric we had at the time. And the more you got people busy, uh, you know, you had to actually change your thinking about what are they working on and how do we have the right people to work on totally different tasks and totally different thinking, standardization, proper systems and those kind of things. So if you get on the same side of the table with your patients and all the patients and customers and i know you you're that's your thinking let's let's change the, the the term back to customers we want these people thinking they're being served and that makes sense they're on the same side of the table how do you start figuring out how to re-engineer the flow the process and into your term which i believe is eliminating waste what what waste do you start to eliminate in that process and what was that like yeah you know it's interesting i, I actually don't like using the word waste because it, it Okay. It, it applies, it's a little bit uh, judgmental to some people if you're on the All other right. side of it. But what I will say is – because I, I, I want less disagreement. So I'll say eliminate unnecessary activity. Okay. Unnecessary okay. spend. It's hard to argue with that, right? The word unnecessary, it's easy to argue, well, that's not really wasteful because that saved a life. That MRI saved a life. Well, that yeah. MRI, which was $3,000, was unnecessary. What was necessary was an MRI that cost three hundred. But that MRI that cost three thousand was totally unnecessary. It doesn't mean something else wasn't necessary. But it's about yeah. going with what's needed, and and using the dimension of cost too. And some MRIs are better than others. So for certain conditions, that better MRI is necessary. But that better MRI never costs three thousand dollars. It costs a thousand. Yeah. So right, how so, do you change that? That's that's very sophisticated thinking. Mm -hmm. It requires a, a, you a knowledge of the the tool set. I mean, that's a good, mm -hmm. a really good example because of when, if you put a customer service rep equivalent, your frontline person, they probably, on average, industry across industry, don't possess that pantheon of knowledge of no. uh, the library, the lexicon of well, what are the types of MRIs? What are the types yeah. of blood pressure no. medication? What are the types of blood thinners? What are the types? Like there's there's ten of each of those, and there's a, mm -hmm. and there's ten thousand categories. How do you wrangle that proactive knowledge into something usable? You know, when we first started doing this in 2008 for our own company. We spent about two years buying into this healthcare consumerism mental model, mm -hmm. and okay, uh, yeah, yeah. I gave it up in two years because I thought oh, that's yeah. a loser model right there. Because the system, is, the other system is so good and it's so complex. There's no way you can stay on top of teaching somebody. And uh, yeah. I remember I was leaving Chicago at a, um, after meeting with Dan Sullivan, and um, I was making the comment. YouTube was just come around. How I'm going to use YouTube videos to 
um, improve the, make it easier to educate my people to be better healthcare consumers for our own health plan. Remember, we hadn't even thought about commercializing this yet. I'm just doing this for myself. And I make this comment about YouTube and about how that'll make it easier for me to educate. And Dan had said something about, is there any other way you could think about that problem? And uh, I so, somewhat facetiously said, yeah, I could eliminate the need to educate. Then I would need to learn YouTube. And, he, and he, that's all he did, right? He didn't give me the answer. And then the airplane ride, I'm, I'm, I couldn't get out of that out of my mind. Like, how would I eliminate the need to educate? And why would I eliminate it? Well, what if it was cost me $10 to educate, but it would only cost one, $2 or $1 to actually do it for them? Would I still spend the 10 bucks to educate when I could do it for one or $2? And I just started doing some modeling myself and, and some little experiments. Who knows how scientific they were? But my conclusion was, you know, I can do this for my own employees much more effectively, much more rewardingly with, with uh, less cost. I'll just do it for them. I'll create a small team of experts who know that stuff, that report to me that I'm working with, because I had, I had that knowledge. My wife is a physician. We had that knowledge. And so if we were just first as a team of, it was us, then it was a team of one more and two more and three more. Now I don't even know how big that team is um, of the experts that have been doing this. It's not more than 20, though. Um, but it's just so we became the ones who were going to be your de facto consumer. We were in charge of the consumerism mm -hmm. for your life. Okay. And so an we, a committee for advocacy. And like, I don't make found, any decisions from. Yeah. What we found, I, I, what we found for our own employees, no, no money decisions. Right. That's a consumerism mm -hmm. part. You'll make decisions about the options and to understand what the the costs of those options are, which could be money, could be time, could be attention or focus or pain or whatever the costs are. But we would help people understand what the total package of costs were, including money. And then we'd help guide them through the system so that we didn't we eliminated unnecessary activity and, and money and spend and stuff like that. So they got we streamlined. It's a logistics play, streamline, engineer to logistics play where we streamline them exactly to where they needed to be with the, the timing they needed. And it's not always right away. Maybe sometimes the best timing is next week because you want to yeah. give it a week to see if it just goes away and watch it. Right. It's called watchful waiting in, in medicine. It's a okay, real tool okay. that pays zero. So nobody does it anymore. Right. Nobody oh, does yeah. watch or wait. It doesn't pay. But it's what we're taught. Right. We are taught. That the most valuable tool in every mom with a medical, medical degree, it's the number one tool that she will use with her own family. And what mm -hmm. it results in about a tenth as many doctor's visits as the general public, as her own patients. Think of that yeah. for a second. Yeah. Watchful waiting is a tool that is not paid for because it does not serve the traditional insurance model. Because the more we do, the more we make, the more that happens, the more insurance you need, the more cost there is, the more people have to buy insurance, the higher the share price. Everything's about more in the traditional system. We needed a different system where that benefit is benefits from less. Now, that doesn't mean less of what you need. It means less of what you don't need. And that's an important distinction. And that's where healthcare consumerism falls apart because there's no way, Mark, you can really know what you need when you have a pain in your chest or a pain in your belly or right. blood coming yeah. out of your nose, right? There's no way you can know what you need. And, be, and if you don't know what you need, you cannot be a great healthcare consumer. You just can't know. So when I when we learned that, and of course we didn't learn that over a week or a day, and or even on that airplane back from a meeting with Dan Sullivan, but it, it stimulated the thinking of, what if I could eliminate the need to educate? Then I wouldn't need YouTube. I could use YouTube for other things, and we do today. Um, mm -hmm. But the concept there was, 
let's get let's abandon the thought of healthcare consumerism because that's the thing that's frustrating me the most right now is I could educate somebody, I could educate you, I could show you the ten things you could do today, and even with your traditional insurance, you would save a ton of money and a ton of time, but you wouldn't use it right now because you're healthy. When you went to use it six months from now, you'd forget it, and then you make a right. mistake. Yeah. You make a mistake, and then I'd have to spend more time fixing your mistake than if I just did it for you because there's a cascading, you know, you make a mistake and then you try to fix it and you make more mistakes and it cascades into something much bigger than where it would have been if you just did it right the first time. So we today, we don't rely on people to do all of that. Today, we've built the systems and the technology and the process and the algorithms to be that, to guide us. Um, through the pathway where we're naturally going to be better healthcare, where better healthcare consumerism will happen without us having to be the, the true consumer, the person making the financial choices. And, and I personally believe, and I have a lot of friends that disagree with this statement, I believe that healthcare consumerism, making the healthcare user, especially when they're sick or scared, have a consumer brain about money is a, is a losing proposition. And it's the proposition that the traditional system takes advantage of, that this concept of if we can create uncertainty in money and pricing and create a fear that will make the public need us, that is right. built in the, the share price, share prices of all healthcare companies depend on that today. The traditional ones, it depends on that fear sure. and you thinking you need them. And so all we've done is we've just created a system where we say, hey, we don't pay, get paid any more money if you spend more. Matter of fact, we have less expense if you stay healthy and if you are streamlined through the system and you don't bounce all over the system because it's expensive for us when you bounce all and our members bounce all over the system and waste time and, and money. And, um, and sometimes it's an employer's money, sometimes it's a reinsurer's money. It doesn't really matter. It's still money being wasted. It's time being wasted. And here's the money that I care about a lot that, that is not talked about in healthcare. Every time somebody bounces around the system and has to miss an hour of work, that gets, in my mind, that, that cost of that hour of work that they don't get in their paycheck gets added to the cost of health care for that family. Right. For and sure. we, we forget to include that because we, when we talk about 18, 19% of GDP, we don't count, account for that lost wage for that hour or two hours or, or day. So the concept of, the, of advocacy and getting the, the right decision in the, in the hands of the right person, I get that conceptually. What I've struggled with is making that cost effective and making it systematically consistent and mm -hmm. basically say, you know, the, the knowledge management question. So if you go from the smartest doctor in the world is your doctor, that's a manageable model. Not scalable, but it's manageable. If you're saying, well, look, we've got thousands of, of patients, clients, customers. We've got a team of people mm -hmm. that have various of expertise, and we've got people on the front line. Managing no uh, knowledge and continuum of care is a very complex problem. How do you, what systems, I mean, I, I can easily imagine the future is artificial intelligence and machine learning. I'm assuming there's not a lot of that in your world just yet, but what are you doing to manage knowledge systemically so people are on the same page and communicating efficiently? Well, there is a lot of industry knowledge, might not be art or, and intelligence, it might not be artificial, it might be real, or it might be industry intelligence um, and judgment, but it does start with data. So there's some similarities in the process. Mm -hmm. So um, think about, and I'm going to use the technology metaphor here, that the, you take the traditional insurance system. It's a complex system, meaning that 
the parts interfere or interact with other parts. And one day how it inter how that relationship happens is different how it happens the next time. One time you call the system and it answers right away. Next time you call it, it doesn't answer. 20 times you call, right? The system changes all the time. That's what makes it complex. The rules change. Your understanding of the rules change. It's just, it's changing all the time. And it's complex so you, is there's no cause and effect that you can really map all the way through a com any complex system. So in so think about the interface with the, this complex system that normally happens. It's a doctor's appointment. A doctor's appointment is your interface. You go from having nothing, not a lot of knowledge, you just know you hurt or something's happening you don't like in your body or right and you don't know exactly what you need. Matter of fact, over, over half of all the visits to a doctor, number one reason for the visit is you don't know what you need and you want to find out what you need, right? So you don't know what you need. So it's the interface with the system. and But it's a very inefficient sys, um, interface, extremely yeah. inter inefficient. Imagine if instead of seeing your doctor in the visit and asking what you – and figure out what you need, if you if it, you could just call your doctor and talk to your doctor and say, hey, here's what I'm experiencing. What do I need? Including a visit. Or maybe it's a streamline to the cardiologist or maybe the emergency room or maybe an x-ray first and then I'll, I'll call you back afterwards. There's more efficient interfaces with the healthcare system than your doctor's office, right? And, and some yeah, things require sure. the doctor's office, but not everything. So there's the interface is figuring out what you need. Well, there's even a better interface and that's, well, what if you collect information about you before you have a need and we know what you're what medications you're on, what doctors you see, what conditions you have or your children have. And we start to apply some, we collect this clinical data about you, not claims data, right? So that a lot of people make money on claims data. I'm talking about clinical data. Um, so if you have a blood test, a blood panel, there might be eight different tests. And we want to know the chemistry level of every one of those tests. And we want to know how that compares to last month or last quarter or last year. And we also want to know how it relates to men your age, right? So that's, Right. So we want to, and then we want to apply medical knowledge or expertise to that clinical data so we can apply some strategies, which might be a prescription. It might be a wait and see. It might be a do nothing. It might be a right, have a surgery. They, these are all just strategies, but they're being applied. The clinical data and the medical knowledge come together, get married together to create that strategy. And our goal, our goal in our system is to eliminate that claims data. <laughs> the, um, Traditional system makes more money when it creates claims data. So there's a huge difference, right? So we, we, we're in a, we created a model where we don't make money on claims data. We make money by avoiding claims data by doing better medicine, by looking at the data and applying medical judgment or human judgment knowledge to it, right? And I'm, what I'm doing right now is I'm describing what machines do in artificial intelligence, machine learning. That's what they do. They take data. They apply some sort of industry knowledge and some sort of judgment that gets programmed in. And then you get enough data, it'll spit out the strategy that applies. That that has worked in you know the million other occasions where all these data points lined up. So it's the same concepts, um, and we're using technology more and more and more and more. That I believe when we do get to the point where it's all automated, we won't even really recognize when it turned that way because it's so gradual. Right, right. So in terms of 
uh, I get it sort of conceptually. Do you, are there systems that you use to collect data and pass it? Yes. I mean, how oh, do yeah, you, I definitely. Mean, I, guess, oh, definitely. I guess they make it super tangible. A lot of companies right now are trying to make sophisticated processes conceptually, and their number one data management system is email still. That is still real. Yeah, yeah. Well, and so until yeah. you have an industry that's got very mature processes or systems that are built for that, where it's really structured, you're trying to customize a CRM, use email and whatever else. How, what, how do you manage the technology to get the information in the right hands of the right person? Uh, you hire the right who, the right person who knows how to yeah. do it, exactly that, to make sure it's secure and private. Um, what we do is we start with really basic questions. So our job is to, we, we are the interface with our system. This, our, we have a system and we are the interface with our members. And we have to, our system has to interact with their ecosystem. And that means their constraints around work schedules and kids and understanding and money and, and anything, right? We have to interact with their ecosystem. So our questions at the beginning are little, our scout questions, right? So I don't want to ask a hundred things to, to complete the medical record. And of course I have to, if I want to get paid by an insurance company, but if I remove the insurance company from the model and I'm direct and it's a membership, I don't, there's no rules about what data I need to collect. So instead of collecting hundreds of pieces of data, I can collect the first four that matter to me. And then I can sift and sort. And those questions that we care about right out of the gate are what medications you're taking. We can learn a lot from that. Who are the doctors you're seeing in specialties? We can learn a lot from that. And then we ask you what conditions you have. And we just list them, diabetes, cancer, heart disease. You know, we list 15 of the things that are a big deal. And then we have a, anything else we need to know. Those are the four questions that we ask everybody. Based on the answers we get, we then plug those into a population health system that's a system all by itself with a team of doctors and nurses and medical assistants that will then, their main job is to apply uh, medical judgment to that data, that information, that clinical data to know who needs more questions. And if I got 100 people, there's probably only about five to six of those people that I'm like red alert, this medication, this, you know, this disease, whatever, because we know that even if it's something minor, like, like thyroid problems, and we know their prescription is about to be, needs to be filled next week, but their plan doesn't start for two weeks, but they have a need for a prescription in a week. Um, that's an easy fix, isn't it? Now, I don't expect you to know if that's it's hopefully it makes yeah. sense, right? Yeah, yeah. That, that, that because of the timing, but I made it make sense. There's a lot of other things that aren't that intuitive, right? That aren't that right. intuitive that I need that medication now. But if it's an allergy medication, who cares if you wait an extra week for the allergy medication? Thyroid medication, I might care a little bit more. <laughs> Insulin, I care a lot. Asthma yeah. inhalers, I care a lot. People die. Right, so I'm going to take so that medical judgment to know how do we prioritize it, and we've created a whole program. It's and we have a whole team. It's called Hit the Ground Running, and the whole purpose is to identify people when they start our program, whether they're a new employee in a company or whether it's just after open enrollment. We want to know who are the five people out of the ten, out of the hundred, or the one out of the five, or the hundred out of the five thousand, who are have the great greatest probability of need before the first of the month because we don't want them in the first of the month because that's when we're busy because all these plans start right the new people start i'd much rather deal with the end of the month when we have more time and resources so to your point you could have the best doctor in the world and there's i'll give you that your doctor's best in the world 
But when I put my team of doctors and nurses and process and thinking and strategy around your doctor, I just have to do, if I did a halfway job of what I'm capable of and what I do every day, I'll blow your doctor out of the water because I've got systems and process and I've got backup systems on backup systems, right? So I'm only gonna go after those five people before it even starts and it's gonna be a phone call because that's from a physician because that's the best way to deal with it. And we'll, you know, we might use text messages for part of it. We might use a, a secure app for, you know, it's all gonna be through our secure app if we use text message. Um, but just know you could have the best doctor in the world and they can't keep up with the 24 um, seven needs that you might have in an unexpected way. Right. There's right. no way they could do it. I mean, I'll tell you. So you, that, that's, you, that's the challenge, right? Yeah. So the old model historically is one person that has it all. N nothing's ever more efficient than one person who has everything, but yeah. they go to sleep and they go on vacation and they retire yeah. and they do. And so they yeah. don't scale at all. So in a new world of 24 by seven is actually quite normal. And yeah. telemedicine is actually very here. And if it's Friday night at 11 PM and you want a prescription, that is expected now. You should be yeah. able to do that and and to raise the, the you know, yeah. figure out how to balance that care to say, well, how do I make sure I get the right prescription on Friday at 11 p.m. knowing that I have four other medications that might interfere so, with So now here's the, here's the challenge with telemedicine that is being, um, is creating very low utilization is that information is not in front of the doctor. Right. So the doctor's taking a lot more risk when they don't have all the data and they're applying yeah. their medical judgment in the absence of data and a lot of times that means you're going to have to go see your family doctor in the morning or you got to go to the emergency room or you got to go to urgent care. So when, when I don't, we don't even consider what we do is telehealth or telemedicine. Um, we, we've, cause what we've done is we've created a complete end to end experience. Uh, we, we have clinics too. We've done well over 3 million visits in our own clinics and surgery centers here in Phoenix. Um, so we know how to, we know how to work with the clinics and in clinics, how to run clinics. So when we go and work in Arkansas, where we don't own a clinic and we have to, we collaborate with another office or urgent care emergency room, we know exactly how to interact with them because we are them in a sense yeah, here in right. Phoenix. Um, but oh, I lost my train of thought now. What was your question? I had a really well, good thought. Well, it was thought, talking Mark. about how the relationship between that, that, uh, the individual doctor well, the, ver the, the virtual. The so what we did yeah. is we created the perfect process, the perfect primary care visit, the perfect handoff to a specialist, the perfect handoff to a prescription, to a drug. And we just mapped it out. And then here's what we did. We virtualized it. That's different than we started with the service and then we virtualized it. That's different than starting with the technology and trying to plug the people into it. Mm -hmm, right. And, mm -hmm. and our utilization rate is well over 300%. The utilization, meaning that every person, every member on average calls into us um, and speaks with a doctor on an average of three times per year. Okay. That's that's okay. 300 percent. The traditional telehealth service, which hasn't virtualized the whole experience, they just virtualized one little piece of it, but it doesn't fit. It, it doesn't really fit yet into the traditional system. Um, they're anywhere from four percent to, say, 20 percent. If you're 20 percent utilization. We're 300, remember? 20% utilization yeah. is good for Teladoc. There's a reason for that. And the reason yeah. is because people don't go back over and over again. Because if, if you call, because it's relying on you to know what services a Teladoc can do. But what right. if you don't know? You don't know your need. 
So we, we say, I don't care what your need is. You call us. If you're hungry and you think you need a pizza, call me. We'll, we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll sort it through with you, right? Okay. We'll, we'll sort All it right. out. And right. when dinner time please comes, don't, don't have everyone call me now and say, hey, I need a pizza. <laughs> so I, I did that with a friend at 11 o'clock at night. I, I made that, that joke and I said, you could order a pizza in Spanish right now. And, and we'd say yes and try to help you. So you know what my friend did, right? It's an EO party. He picked up yeah. the phone, he ordered in Spanish. And, uh, and he, or he talked in Spanish and he said he needed a pizza yeah. and, and he hung up right away on my person. And I go, what are you talking? What do you do? He goes, I just got scared. I go, why did you get scared? <laughs> <laughs> because your guy in Spanish said, what would you like on it? <laughs> really? Or, and then I, I had to go find out who it was. That's and awesome. uh, That's awesome. his name was Julio. And I go and talk to Julio. Was that you on the phone last night? And he goes, yeah, I didn't know what was going on. Some guy ordered a pizza in Spanish. And I said, what'd you do? And he, goes, and he told me exactly. I just went with it. I didn't know what I was going to do. I was so scared myself. <laughs> but it's the culture we built, right? And one of our core values is always start with yes. We can help you. Yeah. Not I can help you. We can help you. Start with yes. Now, you might get to no. You might get to a different yes. But start there. Yeah. Yes, I will consider your, your question. Yes, I will get you to somebody who can consider your question. Right. Awesome. Yes. It's always a start with yes. And um, yeah, I'm sorry I went off on a tangent on you. No, that's good. I mean, we're actually almost out of time. So uh, we need to kind of land this plane so you can get on with your day. And uh, so I want to make sure we cover the bases. We've okay. covered a lot of ground. We talked about different things. What else? If there's anything we missed, you want to make sure we get out of in the conversation? Um, what we miss? Well, let me just like double click on something we did talk about that I think would be useful. And I, I do a lot of coaching in the EO Accelerator program. So this is, there's a couple pieces of advice that I, I give them and I'll just share that advice right here is um, I'll always start with the, the, the consumer, the user, right? That, so there's difference between the user and the, mm -hmm. so the consumer is a person using, the customer is a person with the money. Sometimes yeah. they're the same. So always combine customer and user or customer and consumer, understand who they are and make sure you're building your processes and hiring your people and making your decisions with them at the front of it. It'll make your life easier. And in my situation, I was the customer and the consumer. So it made it really yeah. easy for me, relatively easy for me to do something that was really, really big and hard. And I, don't, I know I couldn't have done it if I wasn't the customer and the consumer at the same time. But there's a lot of yeah. things that aren't as hard as solving healthcare. It could be just the process of, I don't know, whatever business you're in, the IT services. Your company uses IT services. Reinvent the process around you being the customer and, and make it even better. And even from what people wear to how they talk to eye contact to... Um, what they say when they don't when they they're not on time, you know, just right. the fine details of that. So that's but you don't do that. We don't do that unless we really get into the mindset of the cus the consumer and the yeah, customer. Yeah. And you can do that with your own services. We can all do that as entrepreneurs with our own services and pretend we're actually going to buy it and we're going to pay money and we're going to use it. And, and just and make the tiny little tweaks and process and institutionalize them and be picky about it. And don't be shy about your people thinking you're being picky about how you answer the phone or how you make eye contact. Yeah. The, the, and, you know, when I always knew that I was I was uh, I'd gone over a little hump, a critical mass, if you will, is when people started mm -hmm. making fun of me. 
<laughs> when they used to like mimic my say what I would say, but mimic my yeah. voice, they don't want to quite own it. So they like use this funny voice like it's mine. It, then yeah. I know, oh, I got them. I got them. This is the That's starting awesome. point when they start making fun of me. That's the first thing is just be your own consumer of your own goods or services and customer too, the money and the user. Um, and then the second thing is um, I find a, a lot of um, young entrepreneurs, they're, they're um, afraid to be themselves and they're, they're looking for somebody else to tell them how they're supposed to be. And, okay. and my advice is be yourself. I mean, when everyone else is trying to be the same thing, just be yourself. And uh, Cameron Harrell's a good friend of mine. We've had this conversation too. And and it, and I'm, when we first, before we started, he said, don't try to be Cameron Harold. I love it when you said that. Because <laughs> <laughs> he actually gave me that advice once before I was doing a talk about three, four years ago. And it was, it was I thought it was funny. And, uh, and it got a good laugh when I repeated it on stage. I said, no, I got some good advice from my friend Cameron Harold. He said, don't try to be as good as Cameron Harold because you can't be. And uh, <laughs> just be yourself. And, uh, and, and that's, I took that really to heart is I don't want to try to be anyone else. I just want to be myself. And if that means I'm goofy, at least it's my goofy self. If I make a mistake, it's myself making a mistake. I'm not trying. What that means for me, and I think for a lot of entrepreneurs, is just be yourself and don't be afraid to care more than the world says you should care. Because you wouldn't be an entrepreneur if you didn't care more about something than the world says is normal to care about. You wouldn't be a, an IT entrepreneur if you didn't care more about IT than the rest of the world says is normal. Right. Right. Yeah, so I'm right. saying dive yeah. in, care more about yeah. IT and what you're doing, who you're serving, and the problems you're solving, and the nuances of the problem. Not just yeah, the basic absolutely. level, yeah. right? The nuance of how, 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 how it makes your customer feel like a better mom. Or gives, right? Just go into those kind of details and, and you know, just love people more Don't, yeah. and risk more. R take the risk of caring more, loving more than the world says is even reasonable. Right? Right. Don't let I the world tell you what's yeah, reasonable. Find, just do find it. those places where you can't help but be unreasonable and turn it up to 11 get you know be be unreasonable yeah. in the right ways and uh, i love it when people say it. i'm unreasonable i, I yeah, do right. or when, when i'm giving someone a second chance or a third chance or a fourth chance because i care about them and i love them and i just want them to be successful and yeah. and i'm going beyond what the world says is reasonable and uh it, it's a it's a challenge one it doesn't mean i let it affect my life or get in the way of other projects or missions or other people but um i i just I don't, I don't, I see too many people writing dreams off too quickly or people off too quickly or purposes off too quickly. And that's where just take the risk and risk more than anyone says is reasonable around your caring and your love and the, the, the personal mission you have. So is that your passionate plea to entrepreneurs right now? Yeah. Just care more, love more, risk more on those, about those two things. I love it. I love yeah. it. That's incredible. Well, Dave, I'm grateful for the time, grateful for the ex experience share. So many great nuggets in there, and it helped me clarify some some things and if, for my own thinking. And so it's, it's been awesome. Uh, if somebody wanted to continue the conversation with you, find out what you're up to, how does somebody find you out there? Oh, gosh. So I'm, I'm uh, clearly the worst marketer that I know of all my friends, it seems. And uh, so I can direct to my website, redirecthealth.com. And my email is really easy. It's david.berg at redirecthealth.com. And Berg is spelled like iceberg. Gotcha, gotcha. B-E-R-G. And um, um, we, are, we are moving and changing things all the time. And uh, 
probably the only way you'd, you'd know about it in real time is if I was talking about it. <laughs> well, that's good, man. Especially right now, yeah. a lot of transformation in the world yeah. and healthcare and everywhere. Yeah. Well, Dave, I'm so grateful. Thanks for the time. It's been super helpful. I'm hopeful everyone will get, get a chance to hear this, get some feedback, and uh, we'll go from there. And so that's it for today. 